It's July 2018. Mike Hodnick on live coding with title cycles. Welcome to Hacking Culture. Recently, I attended my first live coding event in St. Paul, Minnesota, and it was a pretty exciting experience for me. I wrote a blog post about that experience, and I'll link to it in the show notes. One of the people who was performing that night at the live coding event was Mike Hodnick, also known as Kingdom. Now, according to the announcement for that event, Mike has performed his unique brand of live coding rhythmic permutation, angled sonics and textures at Algoraves worldwide. So there's a lot of words in there that you might not know, but that's part of the goal of this episode is to talk a little bit about some of those terms. And it just so happens that the main software that Mike uses for his performance is a GPL license Haskell library called Title Cycles. So there is the connection to free software. Welcome to the show, Mike. How are you doing today? I am very well. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for taking the time to come on the show and talk a little bit about live coding. So I wondered if we could start off with you talking about how you would explain what live coding is. Yeah. Yeah, let's get right into that. <laughs> that's a, it's a big question, but um, I think I can uh, distill that down into what I think it is pretty easily. And I guess and it's, a, it's a definition that I've, an academic definition that I've picked up over the years, which is that it's it's really about uh, making a live change to a live running process. So it it can involve something creative or you know musical or visual, but it could also be for something non-creative or non-musical or non-visual, but kind of in the context of music or art or some creative activity, you're you're making a change. Uh, typically in some environment where there's a running process and every change you make is is changing how that running process is executing uh, for the better or for the worse. And the results can be surprising or they can be um, deliberate and planned, um, sometimes both. And uh, so I guess kind of at a high level, that's how I describe it, is that you've got a, a running process and you're making changes to it in real time, uh, typically using code as an interface. That topic of just trying to describe what live coding is, is a challenging question. So I apologize for starting off <laughs> <laughs> with something like that. But I think it gets to one of the interesting aspects of live coding is that it, it can mean quite a bit of different things to different people and they can attach different meaning to the idea of live coding. So for example, last night I was having dinner with a group of Drupal developers and I brought up the topic of live coding and none of them had heard it. And 
it just to, trying to describe it, it's easy to kind of fall back on something like making music with my computer or something like that. But your answer gets to the, the fact that it can be other things like art or visual art and not just music. So right. that aspect of it uh, is that is it what is what drew you to live coding the musical part or the is there something else about that? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> so I think that um, when when I learned about these tools that you can use, it wasn't so much the really knowing or, or putting a lot of thought into specifically that this is live coding. It was more that, hey, there's a code-based interface I can use to make music. That sounded really cool to me. Um, and being kind of having a, a background in uh, being an instrumentalist, I played percussion um, and drum set. So this idea of playing and performing music being, it's kind of a, it's a live real-time experience to me. and I've produced electronic music and I love electronic music, but I'd never really been kind of comfortable performing it because to me, I, I didn't really know of a live way to do it. And then when I came across title cycles and a code interface, I thought, okay, this, this is something that could really work. And me also being a programmer, it was a natural fit. It was this intersection of programming and music, which are two things that I really love. And um, so it was kind of this weird thing that I knew I would be interested in as well. So that's, it was kind of this, uh, kind of a perfect storm of a few things that I that made me realize it was possible. It wasn't so much that, you know, kind of the, the kind of more of the form, formal definitions about what live coding is. I, I didn't really pick those things up until kind of later on and, and kind of getting into some of the research that's been done around it. Uh, it was more just, hey, this is a cool tool I can use and it looks fun. So is it fair to say that your your day job is coding, but then live coding is something you do? Would you describe it as a hobby? Yeah, I am definitely a, a computer programmer, software developer, software engineer. That's my main profession, uh, line of work. And music making is is really just it is a hobby but i don't know i take it a little more seriously than a hobby i feel like sometimes i feel like the word hobby means i never come out of my basement <laughs> but uh i love performing and i love producing and, and putting music out and kind of trying to get continuously get better at those things too and but i really like sharing what i do too so it, it's a hobby but it's a hobby because it's not my it's not the main thing I do, but it is a significant thing I do also. So it's it's still something I take seriously and um but it's it's not my my means of paying the bills. <laughs> when people ask a question like, So what do you do? They're usually referring to how you are economically productive in our society. Sure. And I'm a live coder it isn't really an answer to that question but it seems like you have actually done quite a bit in terms of performing as well as releasing albums and being involved in the live coding community so could you talk a little bit about some of the albums that you have uh, put out and and 
maybe how, how some of those things came to be, like how you made that transition from doing this thing live and in the moment to releasing an album? Yeah, sure. And I, I'm going to kind of tie it in with uh, another thought I have as you're talking. So to me, live coding is also a, it's a tool or a process that I use. And I, I wouldn't, I don't really think of it as an exclusive way of, or the only way that I do produce or perform music. It, it certainly is probably the, the most significant way that I, or the most significant tool or technique I use, but you know, sometimes there's there's just other little tricks or skills or other things that I've got to introduce in order to kind of get to where I'm trying to go uh, from a creative perspective. But in any case, um, yeah, so I wanted to try and perform with title cycles, at, you know, writing live code in front of an audience, kind of even before I had really produced anything with it, kind of in terms of an album and had uh been very fortunate to schedule some shows at some venues in St. Paul, Minnesota and it was it was really fun uh where I would actually start from a, a blank text editor and completely improvise anything and everything I could think of and just really had a lot of fun and I I think that producing music with it was never a question of if I was going to, it was more a question of when. I, I'd always knew in the back of my mind that, yeah, I'm I'm gonna at some point figure out how to kind of uh, take this coding technique, but use it more as a compositional tool and make some recordings and see just see what happens. And uh, eventually, those ideas kind of materialized, and you know, little experiments seemed to succeed and turn those things into tracks and put a lot of polish on them and and uh, eventually released those things as as albums um or i don't know if album is the right word but di digital releases on bandcamp and um but i've also been fortunate to release a few physical things as well in the in the form of uh, uh vinyl lp and um i guess that's the main kind of audio format that that's out there but i've done some other things with the usb drives that you can buy and things like that so um, that's kind of the the journey that I went on from starting with kind of a, a live improvisational approach to um, trying to make some compositions and and tracks, I guess you'd say. Do you have any strong preference for live coding by yourself or live coding with an audience or live coding to create an album? Yeah, it's a great question. It It really depends on the particular setting or the venue or the audience or the kind of the purpose of the event. Um, if I'm playing, uh, th there have been performances I've done where improvisation is really the focus or improvisation is um, the expectation or the venue is, is really a, a setting where improvisation and mistakes are encouraged or expected and then it's i feel very free to to kind of perform that way start with a blank you know a blank text editor and just go for it um but if i'm playing in a you know place where there's food and drink served and people are paying a ten dollar cover to get in and it's more of a 
you know, the music is not may not necessarily be the focal point where people are, you know, listening critically and giving a hundred percent attention to the performer. You know, it's it may be more of um, you know, people are gonna be talking or, you know, socializing or or whatever. And um then in those cases I'm I'm gonna prepare more ahead of time and kind of perform more compositions that are um you know that I've put together beforehand. Uh, I may actually perform things that I've recorded or things that have not been recorded but are still kind of ready to go. Because in those cases, I feel like it's just a different set of expectations for the audience as well as the venue and, and kind of why everybody's there. And that's that's okay. That's that's cool. I like being in a setting where they're, I'm able to take some more risks. There's kind of even some middle ground between complete improvisation and complete preparation. There's there's cases where I'll have a skeleton of things ready to go, but there's a lot of room for improv and um, weird things can happen. And I can type code that creates something unexpected that's surprising. And, but you know, the audience is still, still into it. Um, it just really depends on what the particular setting is. Another thing I wanted to mention though, too, just briefly, cause you, you were kind of kind of getting into it, which is um, using live coding as a kind of a compositional tool. Um, even though there's no audience when I'm kind of writing stuff in my own house, it's still a live process where uh, kind of through code as an interface, I'm experimenting and trying to come up with something that's kind of fun and interesting. So even though there's no audience, I, I still feel like it's a very live process rather than you know, using a kind of, uh, you know, buttons or a nice user interface in, a, you know, a polished program might to sequence something or come up with an idea. I'm typing code and continuously improvising and coming up with something to, that, that makes me, makes me happy or, you know, something that I think sounds good. So it's, it's still a very live process, even though it's, uh, you know, during the composition part rather than, rather than the performance part. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. This aspect of performing by yourself suggests like you're just doing this thing, but there is this sense that like when you're performing, you're also sort of performing with the algorithms and that because live coding is code, you can, you know, fairly easily say, I'm going to play or I'm going to create a little melody and then I'm going to try and play it twice as fast or 10 times as fast or a thousand times as fast or see what happens, but you don't always know what's going to happen. So it, it does feel like there's this sense that, that when you're, when you're performing, you're sort of creating these patterns and they're repeating, especially if you're using title cycles and that, that you're sort of performing with a, a set of algorithms. So could you maybe say a little bit about how you kind of build things up? So yeah, the way title cycles works is you're given a unit of time called a cycle. And if you have a musical background, you could think of that as like a measure or a beat, I guess you could say, but um, it's it's kind of a unit of, or, or a loop. So it's, it's a unit of time that um, where something happens and then it repeats infinitely. So by default, title cycles functions at one cycle per second. So you've got kind of a 120, BPM loop that you're you're able to work with. 
so within that cycle, you can put whatever you want. You can divide it up into four equal chunks and then end up with kind of like a four, four beat. Um, so you can play four bass drums or a bass drum, snare drum pattern. And there's kind of a little, basically you define what goes into that cycle with a, a string of code. And there's kind of a little syntax for what that string needs to look like. You can use multiplication symbols and division symbols and some other uh, in, uh, square braces and some other things to kind of define what uh, how uh, different events in the cycle need to be spaced out or, or what content they include. And patterns can that that pattern string can apply to sample names or MIDI note values or uh, different pitches or different volumes. So you can use that same syntax in title cycles to control all kinds of different parts of that that unit of time that's always repeating. Um, so yeah, so when you start typing some code, you are defining really kind of a trivial little loop. And I think one of the things that makes title cycles so great is that with a very little amount of code and through its features, you can type just a little bit of code to start causing some very large changes. You can use a, you know, those functions to completely reverse a pattern. You can do some sample manipulation by chopping the samples up and like doing some granulization. You can um, have logic for, you know, every, uh, when, when a certain number of cycles go by or have, have played, um, so on the third cycle, do this, you maybe reverse the thing or change how fast something is playing. You, you can start to develop a lot of logical variation that way and start to layer a lot of logic on top of what you're doing. I, I think that's, <laughs> it's hard to explain without actually seeing something visual, but that's kind of, you know, how you start is you just start putting things in a cycle like note values or sample names and what rhythm they should play in and then start where the power comes in is really getting creative with um, kind of some effects or, or kind of the, the logic of how to uh, manip manipulate that rhythm um, as the cycles go by. Yeah, that that's a great description. And like you said, it's it seems hard to describe what live coding is. On your recent album, on Bandcamp, the the description said, Kingdom signature sound combines pin sharp icy synths, butting heads with corkscrew, heavy abstract percussion coded in title cycles. This all sounds hella technical, but what it basically means is that this guy is creating a truly original sound that pushes the boundaries of both techno and extreme computer music, end quote. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> Does that sound to you like what you do? Uh, well, gosh, I mean, those are some really nice words. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, if, if people are hearing that in, in what I do, that's, that's really cool. I, I guess my interests in music change over time, but I think that description is kind of fairly accurate because it's kind of a, a style that I've been developing from years and years and years ago, I've always loved more complex and chaotic music. And I've been interested in synthesis and 
creating my own patches and complex rhythms. And so, yeah, I think that that description uh, and that for that music that that description was made for, it's pretty, I, I, I think it's kind of accurate because it's, it's what I've have subconsciously in my brain about what I'm doing. Um, yeah, I've got sharp synthesis, very clean, weird, almost alien sounds uh, that sound like they're just not natural things that should be coming out of a electronic instrument and strange rhythms that you can kind of, you know, nod your head to or kind of have a groove, but then they surprise you and start to twist around. And, but yeah, I think um, because of the logic you can put in title cycles as a sequencer, you start to end up with things that don't repeat as often or things that repeat in unexpected ways. And I, I guess, you know, I, I, I try to do things that I think, nobody's done before i don't i'm not i don't know if i'm always very successful but uh, so yeah it's it's uh it's really cool if um if somebody kind of perceives that that it's it's a unique unique sound or a unique um, way of of recording so yeah i guess i, li- I like that description <laughs> <laughs> so do you i mean do you feel like that's one of your goals then when you're when you're live coding is to find to continually find something new and unique um well i it's it's a tool that enables me to find something new and unique i I think that as an artist it as an artist that's my goal I, i think as a live coding as a tool is something that can get me there very easily or it's the it's the thing that's gotten me there the most easily so far I believe that I could use nearly any, well, not any technology, but many technologies, whether it's traditional software or uh, modular synths or anything off of a shelf in a store, you know, the creativity will hopefully come through and I'll arrive at a similar outcome. But uh, through through live coding and through code-based interface, I think that there are just certain features available that get me to where I want to go faster just creatively or the way I can experiment with stuff. So it's, it's a tool that is just much more productive, I think for, for how I think about music or how, or for the, the, the place I want to go to musically. One of the interesting things about live coding is that it is just a a skill 
I guess you could say, just like any other sort of programming that you can learn and get better at. And you've released a number of uh, tutorial videos, and those are very helpful for people like me that are learning. And I know that, you know, sometimes I try these things and it just kind of makes me giddy when I do something and like, whoa, <laughs> what happened there? Mm -hmm. And there's like a great deal of surprise. So once you've been doing this for a few years, like, like you have, do you still feel like when you're live coding that you're, you're doing things in a way that surprises you or creates, you know, like not just something new and unique, but something that you weren't expecting when you, when you wrote it? Yeah, it, it it does still happen. I I think I think that is kind of a kind of a more subjective goal I have. We we were talking about musical output as a goal just a second ago, but I think ultimately I, I do just want to keep being surprised, and that's what's going to keep me doing this. <laughs> so when I was first learning title cycles, it the surprises were frequent and you know, every day I was trying to learn something new and do different things. And, and this, you know, it always surprised me. So after doing it for, I mean, I've been using title cycles for, I don't know, at least four years, probably maybe a little bit more. I'm not sure, but, um, the surprises are harder to come by because I, I know it, I know what's going to happen if I use a certain function in a certain way. But that being said, there are, that doesn't mean I've done every combination of things you can possibly do in, in, in title cycles. There's still are surprises to be found. And that's kind of the goal now is, you know, what other aspect of title can I kind of use today to uh, do something I haven't thought of yet? So even though there's a lot of things I'm accustomed to and, and familiar with that do the things I like, uh, it's it's always still a, a kind of a fun creative activity and a challenge to find the find the new things, find the things that I haven't really discovered yet, or certain combinations of things I haven't tried. So yeah, that's the surprises are still there, but they're I have to dig a little bit harder for them now. Sure. Do you get much of a chance to do live coding with other people? Well, in terms of just maybe you know, whether it's a performance or a meetup or something like that, I, I guess, yeah, I've, I've been very fortunate to travel to some places where I've been able to be a part of you know, these things called algo raves and, and kind of live coding exclusive performances where you may have five to 10 people who are all using live coding techniques to perform music or to um, display visuals, things like that. Otherwise, uh, there's also some specific things where you can, you can, when you said multiple people or perform with others, the first thing I thought was being able to share kind of the same musical process as somebody else. So at the same time, you're maybe uh, synchronized in time and you're able to perform together or there's some tools that allow you to share your text editor with somebody else at the same time. And you can even, you know, manipulate the same code together. Um, there are those possibilities as well, but in terms of just performing 
or getting together with other live coders. It's it's been rare for me. You know, I've I've been fortunate to to travel a bit and perform with and and meet a lot of my live coding peers, which has been really fun and really great. Uh, locally, I think we've got there's a small and growing interest. Uh, I'm I've been pretty terrible at trying to <laughs> get meetups together or to try and uh, you know kind of get us all locally who you know where we live by each other to try and get together and make some stuff happen. I've, I've been, I feel like could do a lot better on that, but um, we have gotten together a few times in the past. There's a few of us and um, we did a performance in Hopkins, Minnesota a few years ago, but um, yeah, so kind of a rambling response there, but uh, yeah, there's, there's been opportunities to to get together with other people. It seems like there's a strong sense that live coding should be done with other people or for an audience or something like that. And some of the things I've read about it, I just wondered if that sort of matches up with your experience, that there is there is sort of an emphasis placed on uh, doing this activity with other people or with an audience or, you know, as a social type of thing. I think there are some, yeah, boy, there's, there's like three parts to that answer I want to give. Um, so, so yes, I think there are opportunities to do so, and I think it, live coding can or ha and has been a very communal type of um, activity in a way that other electronic music is not able to be. Uh, for example, I forget what it was called, but um, uh, like pub coding, uh, where you have title cycles running on a computer and you know, you, you meet up somewhere and you project your, the code somewhere in a back room and you just pass the keyboard around. So everybody gets to you know, write a little bit of code for 30 seconds or 60 seconds, and then you just kind of pass it around. And and it's a very social activity. Uh, and that so so when you mentioned doing it with people, that's the first example I thought of where you, you can't do something like that with. You know, traditional music making software and at least very easily. You, you certainly could pass around, you know, a, a MacBook with Ableton Live running and people could, you know, <laughs> DJ in real time, you know, as you pass the keyboard around, that would certainly be possible. Um, so I don't mean to say that you couldn't do it with anything else, but with a little bit of code and a text editor, I think the interface affords itself to something like that. But I don't think that live coding has to be social. I think um, one of the things I like to talk about with with others is that we think of programming typically as something you do for your job or to to solve problems or to build software. Um, you, you sit in a chair, sit at a desk, and you have to write software and to get a paycheck. But um, coding can be for yourself too, and not just for writing software. But for example, with some with creative live coding whether it's something musical or visual, you can let your mind meander and just, you can con continuously improvise and create without any end goal. Because you can certainly write software by yourself for fun, but you're gonna stop once you get to a point where you've learned what you wanna learn or you've you've built a program to when it's ready to be used by somebody else, or maybe you're uh, doing it to uh, as a side project. But with 
kind of creative live coding. You can just code by yourself. You don't need an audience or, or other live coders with you. You can just do it as kind of a, almost a meditative activity. And there's really no end point. You can just stop when you're ready to stop. So there's kind of that aspect as well. Kind of a long response. But the third part I wanted to mention is I think that the live coding community has been very, very, it's a very, very strong community and it's very supportive. There are a number of email lists and forums where new users can ask questions and everybody is very supportive and very eager to give answers and help folks learn. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, protection of skills or knowledge. I think everybody's been very uh, welcoming and it's, um, also a community where uh, you know diversity and is is I guess kind of a, a very prominent thing that's supported as well, making sure that you know there is no discrimination, that there's you know regardless of um, gender, sexual orientation, or uh, race, or any any factor at all. Um, you know, events are very open and and welcoming and. Um, and uh, the stage has been equal as well to make sure that it's, you know, you don't have uh, a stage of five white males the only as the only performers. Um, it's it's a proactive community where diversity is practiced is in, and not just not just talked about. Yeah, I've noticed that, too. That's that's a great aspect to it. The community part, I think for me. One of the things I've liked about live coding is kind of like you said, the meditative aspect to it, because you can take just sort of any sound you want or music or sound file, and you can just kind of play around with it. And, and you don't have to do it because you want to do it because it needs to be just right. You just... You're, it's, there's a playful aspect and after spending you know a decade or almost two decades now for me writing code for other people with a purpose writing tests making sure it works there is always this sense of I'm doing something for the future for someone else for requirements for acceptance criteria and live coding feels like it's such a a different thing to just be there in the moment and I feel like that's even helped me on my day job doing coding where I'm try at least to pay more attention to like am I am I enjoying this right now as much as I maybe not as much as I would doing live coding or not but do you think your experiences live coding have affected your professional life as a coder well, that's an interesting question. I I don't feel like it has. Um, it feels like a very separate activity to me. I feel like I have to put on, I have to turn on a very different part of my brain in order to do my job and, and write software uh, as opposed to, um, you know, title cycles. And that that's exercising a much more creative part of my brain. Of course, it's still a technical activity, but um, even the, the technical things are uh, that I'm exercising when I'm live coding are very different than the technical things at my day job. So I feel like as a live coder, kind of the the the, the technologies and and 
things I have to know that surround live coding, um, like uh, being a part of the open source community, trying to get uh, you know a number of libraries running on Windows. Windows is my main operating system. I guess there's kind of some technical skills that I've gained by by just using live coding tools that have kind of helped helped me in my day job, but but not in terms of the code writing part. It's more in terms of you know crazy uh, super niche things, just you know trying to get something compiled or you know <laughs> um, because I think a lot of the open source tools that um, live coders use are they're not mainstream. You know, they're things with audio or with graphics. Uh, it's not for web development. So a lot of these tools are a little more obscure and they're harder to get running. And um, it just kind of keeps you sharp in general. But but in terms of the coding itself, I, I feel like it's a very separate activity to me. I see. When you decided to use title cycles rather than live coding languages or libraries like Sonic Pi or Foxdot or Chuck, or there's there's a huge list of them. Did the fact that it was free software affect your decision to say, yeah, this, this seems like the one for me, or was it mostly the sort of efficiency and the quickness that you can use title cycles to, to get going? I think it was definitely the efficiency and the quickness and the the features that title cycles had to offer. When I saw those things, I immediately thought I have to do that right now. <laughs> and it, so it really wasn't the fact that it was um, you know free software. It, that I guess that was kind of a nice side benefit, but it wasn't a, a driving factor for me. For me, it was just looking at. The, the code being written and re instantly recognizing that it was something that I, I knew I would have fun with and something I could use. Yeah, I mean, I remember the first time I saw Title Cycles uh, code and I, I looked at it and I, I saw, I recognized that it was very much kind of a, a rhythmic pattern-based tool, which, you know, with me being a percussionist and a drummer, that certainly made sense. And and, and um, I think that's that was re really what the main driving force was for me. I did check out a number of other live coding tools and um, some of them were just harder to for me to get started with and just get running. Uh, others were were just uh, didn't quite do everything that I, you know it wasn't so much that things weren't capable, but title cycles I, I looked at it and it just kind of I instantly recognized it as, as something great. So, but yeah, the free the free software side of it was kind of a a nice a nice side benefit. Now, do you think if somebody's listening to this and thinking, "Oh, that sounds like fun. I'd like to try that." Do you think it is necessary to know programming or to know how to create other kinds of music to do live coding? Uh, no and no. <laughs> so I've seen <laughs> I've seen it both ways. Um, I think a lot of programmers come across live coding creative tools, and a lot of live coders that do not have kind of a, a, a musical or artistic background, 
and they're able to dive in. And if they have any kind of interest in music, they're, they're able to just start because um, the programming comes a little more naturally and they are able to make connections with, oh, when I type this code, then it does this. And I, it's something I recognize in terms of a rhythm or a melody. So then they can kind of make those relationships and in their brain and be on their way. Uh, I have seen uh, artistic folks who do not have a programming background also get started. And um, with title cycles specifically, I think it's a little easier. The code, the coding is not quite as hardcore as like, um, you know, I'm thinking of doing web development or learning, you know, Java or C++ or, you know, title cycles is based in Haskell, but you don't have to know Haskell to write title cycles code. The, the way title cycles was designed allows you to type as little as possible for um, kind of maximum results. And so a, a non-technical person can kind of um, read into it and, and just kind of go. Uh, they, they are, there can be some barriers with the technology in terms of, you know, there's, there's a lot of things you have to get accustomed to in terms of using a terminal and, and using source control systems like, like Git and just getting things installed. A lot of those are prerequisites. You have to do those things in order to just get running, at least today. Um, and those can be a little daunting, but, um, but once you kind of get things running, uh, I've absolutely seen you know folks who do not have programming experience they they can still they can still get it done and still use it as a really cool creative tool and I think non-programmers in a way have kind of a, a weird creative advantage where they don't have preconceived notions about what code should look like or what looks correct and they're almost more willing to try things that that I would never do and the results are are just that much more unique so that's that's kind of an interesting part of it as well yeah that's for sure if <laughs> coming from a background of c-based languages or javascript or something like that and then coming across haskell it does look like it's <laughs> it's just a completely different mindset yeah but but also quite fun so so do you you would recommend title cycles for somebody who didn't know programming or have a musical background if they wanted to give live coding a shot it, it's one option I, I would re i would recommend it but i wouldn't say that it is the first one they should start with or it or it is the best sure it's a very personal choice i think in terms of the coding and the language and the syntax title cycles seems to resonate with a lot of people but that doesn't mean it it will with everybody right now the installation experience for title cycles is is probably the the most challenging part of it uh, just getting it running it can be a little daunting there there is no just single install installer for it you have to as of today kind of in, install a number of separate things and get things connected and get them working as opposed to sonic pi which has a uh, single installer that you can just um, run and then you just run sonic pi by itself so if you're on mac or windows or linux you just start it up and it has its own dedicated editor and it's all ready to go. That's a goal of title cycles is to to get to that point, but um, we're not the the community just hasn't gotten that far yet. So um, you know, uh, Sonic Pi I think is easier to install and just start using. Um, you can do that probably within a minute. 
Uh, title cycles will take you more than one minute <laughs> to get installed. So it kind of depends. I think it depends on your level of familiarity with your operating system and computer and and then also looking at the code and seeing what what kind of makes sense to you and what's fun to use. Yeah, there's definitely something alluring for me about title cycles. And I did I did go on and try a few of those other ones that, like you said, are easier to install. But it's it's kind of tricky to explain, but there there definitely are different sort of goals with each of these kinds of programming languages. So there's there certainly seems to be something unique about title, and that probably has a lot to do with the fact that it's Haskell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It kind of allows a certain way of making music and performing. And I think the, the way it was designed too, it was designed with uh, you know, making musical patterns and, and rhythm. You know, we mentioned Sonic Pi. Sonic Pi is kind of has the same idea of a loop, but the way it's constructed and built is different. It's it's kind of based in the uh, language of Ruby. Um, and there is a grade school curriculum around Sonic Pi, um, so it can be very simple for kids to pick up. You mentioned Foxdot, which is in Python. I, I've not used it myself. Uh, there's another one called Jibber, which is based, uh, it's a browser-based tool, so it doesn't re require any installation at all. It's kind of a, a JavaScript-y coding tool that works really well. There's also a, a graphics, a kind of a visual component of it as well, if you want to do combined audio and visual work in it. I, I'm forgetting a whole bunch of others, but there's also Super Collider, which is... Um, Kind of a lower level environment, but it's easy to install. Uh, maybe takes a little bit more digging into the docs to to know how to write code for it. But Super Collider is actually the foundation for title cycles uh, sample sequencing, as well as uh, I think Sonic Pi uses it as well for all of its synthesis. So it's it can be used by itself as a live coding environment, but it's also kind of the foundation for other other things, which is kind of interesting. So. Lots of choices available. Yeah. And if somebody was interested in pursuing those other choices, do you point them to any particular resource such as toplap.org? Or do you have any other suggestions for where people might look? Yeah. Um, so Toplap is a great one. And I think Toplap has uh, a number of um, pages of, of just lists of links and things like that. The other resource uh, that I think is great is on, um, it's just a single readme page on github.com. So the organization account is toplap. So github.com slash toplap. The repository name is awesome-livecoding. So github.com slash toplap slash awesome-livecoding. And it's kind of a curated list of everything from languages and environments, but also uh, videos and training resources. Or maybe not, maybe training isn't the right word, but tutorials and videos you can watch or even performances and demonstrations, uh, lists of conferences, uh, community links. I guess it's, it's kind of a concise page. Um, it, it's very similar to the information that's on toplap.org, but it's kind of all presented in, in one single document, which is pretty handy. So I'd recommend that. Great recommendation. 
Okay, so if anyone wants to find out more about what you've been up to or find more about your work, where would you suggest they go? Uh, so I've got my main website, which is pretty small. I don't have a blog or anything on it, but it's kindom.com, K-I-N-D-O-H-M.com. And I, from there, I have a number of links to releases and upcoming performances, as well as links to a Twitter account and YouTube page and Instagram and some other stuff like that. So that's kind of the, the place I would go. Otherwise, if you just search for that, that moniker, K-I-N-D-O-H-M, you'll, uh, you'll come across <laughs> all of the, the main spots on the internet to, to find out what I'm up to. Sounds great. And is there anything else that you wanted to share before we sign off? If I had to think of a closing remark, it would be that live coding to me is a, a great technique that opens a new dimension for creative coding or for any creative output, musical or visual or, or, you know, or other. It's certainly not the best way that's going to work for everybody, but it's a technique that I think any, uh, especially on the creative side, any artist, it's, it's kind of a tool you can put in your tool belt to use live coding based tools and practices to kind of expand whatever your creative format is. So the code as an interface can just introduce some nice creative options and, you know, in addition to existing tools that you're familiar with. So. That's kind of how I look at live coding. It's it's not it's not the future. It's not the one thing that everybody's going to be doing, but it has so much to offer. And I think um, uh, it certainly is kind of growing. And and you know how how many people are aware of it, and and it you can do so much with it. And I I I love doing it, and <laughs> certainly would recommend folks take a look into it. Those sound like good words of wisdom. Thank you very much for joining me, Mike, and have a great day. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hacking Culture. All of the music used in this episode is music from Mike. You can find more information about the topics we discussed, such as links to Title Cycles, Sonic Pi, Fox Dot, and more at hackingculture.org episode slash 17. Thank you for listening. <laughs>